This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Coming up next on Plains FM, the Shetland and Orkney Connection, brought to you by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society. Played by Shetland Band Homebrew, signal 8.30pm the last Monday each month for the Shetland and Orkney Connection, produced by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and broadcast on Plains FM 96.9, either directly in Canterbury or streaming live globally on broadband, or available for three months after the broadcast via podcast on the website www.plainsfm.org.nz. Welcome everyone to the October edition of the Shetland and Orkney Connection. It is presented by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and is promoted by Community Radio Plains FM 96.9. The programme is broadcast at 8.30pm on the last Monday of each month and is repeated on Monday two weeks later at noon. Now there's only myself and Helen here today as Jan is having a small operation on her nose. Hope it all goes well for you, Jan, and it's not a nose job either. Now, this just came hot off the press. It came through on my computer just before I came here. It's about the 2023 Up Hallier. The Mareel Auditorium was bursting at the seams last night for the first mass meeting in three years. Despite the recent change allowing women to participate, there appeared to be no woman present at the meeting. It was announced that the date of the 2023 Up R would be the 31st of January and that the geyser jail would be Neil Moncrief. So it's good to know they're going to have a, another Up R. Yes, people mm-hmm. can start and make bookings. Yes, yeah. Now, from the Stronsay Limpet, a comment from Leon MacArthur, MSP. While local authorities across the country continue to be shortchanged, the disparity between the three main island authorities is glaring. The recent rise in Orkney's population has only made this worse, with Orkney receiving around £370 per head less than Shetland, and almost £700 less than the Western Isles. Scottish ministers must look at practical ways to address this inherent unfairness and put all island authorities on a more level playing field. Mm, I agree with that. Mm. Mm. More than a hundred years ago, an enterprising Shetlander, Andrew Peterson of Skeld, constructed a pair of wings by means of which he was wont to soar in the air like a bird. The wings were attached to overalls, were made so that they could be quickly spread or folded back close to the sides. Often he would appear on the top of a hill on a windy day, spread his wings and glide through the air for a considerable distance. One day, Andrew, Shetland's first airman, 
after a successful takeoff from the roof of his dwelling house, crashed into a hill dike and injured himself, and all further air flights were abandoned. Well, thank goodness he wasn't too badly hurt. <laughs> yeah. This item was in a recent Shetland Times, a hundred years ago, the formation of the Shetland Society in Wellington, New Zealand has, during the last few years, become the home of a goodly number of sons and daughters of the old rock, and it was felt by many that the formation of a society similar to those which exist in other colonies would be in the best interests of all concerned. And towards this end, a large meeting of Shetlanders was held in St Hilda's Hall, Island Bay, on Friday evening the 4th of August it was unanimously decided to form a society to be known as the Shetland Society of Wellington, and the following office-bearers were elected. President, Mr D. Moore, Vice-President, Mr John T. Reid, Secretary, Mr John R. Jeremson, and Treasurer, Mr A. Jameson. Letters were received from Sir Robert Stout, KCMG, and Mr B. Tate, acting town clerk, conveying good wishes and assuring the society of their support. The society will endeavour to assist, as far as possible, arrivals from the old rock, and Shetlanders coming to Wellington should communicate with the secretary, Mr J. R. Jeremson. Mm. Yes, they, the Wellington Society, they have been celebrating the 100 years, isn't it? Mm. Um, with various events this year, haven't they? Yes. Mm. It's a fairly strong group. Mm. Jimmy Perrier's actor, Douglas Henshaw, is to auction off the pea coat he wore as a fictional detective for charity. The star of the BBC's Shetland series left the show at the end of last season, which concluded on the 14th of September last. Details of the auction and which good cause the money raised will go to have yet to be announced. There has been interest from around the world on social media for the item. One man from Pennsylvania, United States, has already asked about the size of the coat. Oh, mm. gosh. Mm. Perhaps he's going to bid for it. Yeah, that'd be a prize, yeah. <laughs> Just over 50 years ago, fire destroyed the printing works of the Orcadian. It was the worst calamity to hit the firm in the 118 years of its existence. The Kirkwall Fire Brigade fought the blaze for five hours and succeeded in containing it. They saved the front shop and offices, the adjoining store, file room and also the building at the back, containing the flatbed Cossa Press, which prints the newspaper. But all the central block, top and ground floor were destroyed. This housed the case room with three line casting machines, cases of type and below other equipment, including a new 4,000 pound Heidelberg printing machine, only recently installed. Mm. The fire was reported to the police shortly after 9pm by Dr Sidney Peace, who lived next door. The fire brigade, under Firemaster Peter Leslie, was on the scene within minutes. They wore breathing apparatus to combat the blaze. The proprietor of the firm, Mrs Elizabeth Miller, who was immediately alerted, members of the staff, firemen and police, 
were joined by neighbours and other willing helpers in a concerted effort to save the records, including all the files of past issues of the Orcadian and other valuable papers. They worked in the pitch darkness and in the choking fumes, forming a human chain. These were eventually all safely deposited in the Royal Bank of Scotland next door. It was a carved night with a thick fog, and this no doubt prevented the whole complex of buildings going up in flames. The cause of the fire is not known. The staff had left the building at 5pm when the firm closed down for the weekend. That same night, and in the hours that followed, emergency plans were made to ensure that production, which for many weeks to come will have to be on a reduced scale, could be resumed as soon as possible. A line-setting machine from the south is already on its way. Office of help came from far and wide. The newspapers in Lerwick and Wick offering their services to help out in the critical weeks ahead. From all parts of Britain there were phone calls and letters expressing sympathy and concern at the grievous lot the firm had suffered. Fourteen people employed by the Orcadian were told by the proprietor the same night that their jobs were secure. The Orcadian has never failed to come out since its first issue in 1854, which reported the Battle of Sebastopol. Mm, And I still think it's been um, produced, you know, Mm. regularly, without a miss. Let be for let be. This saying, or an equivalent, will doubtless be found wherever there is a language. The Shetland version runs thus. Ha <laughs> now this is, let be for let be, as Robbie Glenn said to the otter. Now, who Robbie Glenn was, I'm not able to say. I have heard that he belonged to Delting, but there is no doubt he was a real person. Like most crofters, he owned a number of sheep, and it was his custom. He went out one morning to look for something strange. As he trudges over the snow-clad hills, what does he spy but the footmarks or trail of an otter? Over hill and glen, with eager step, he follows the trail until it ends at the entrance to a yarf, hole in the moor, near the side of a burn. The hole is too narrow to allow Robbie to enter, and beard the otter in his den. He must dislodge him, and this is done by setting fire to a bundle of dry heather placed in the mouth of the yarf. The smoke entering the recess is very offensive to the amphibious creature, and he hastens to escape. But Robbie is on alert and throws himself on the poor beast. The struggle is short and severe. The poor otter is stunned with the repeated blows and laid aside as dead, while Robbie has received a bite on the left thumb. A few hairs were pulled from the otter's tail and applied to Robbie's wounded thumb and slinging his prey by the tail over his shoulder, he marches homeward, well pleased with his success. Now it appears that the otter had not been dead, as was supposed, for all at once he seizes Robbie's hip with a death grip. Robbie tugs and pulls, but all in vain, and at last, goaded to desperation with pain, he runs to an overhanging bray, against which he places his back, pressing with all his might, while he exclaims, No, Brida, let be for let be. I said that Robbie took some hair from the otter's tail and applied it to his thumb. It was believed that the best antidote against effects 
of the bite of a dog or otter was a hair from the animal's tail, hence the saying, Taka hair oda tek, that bet thee, take a hair of the dog that bit you. <laughs> I don't think they'd be allowed to eat otter these days. I think they're pretty no. protected, aren't they? <laughs> Yeah, I'd say that'd be pretty feisty too. Too, too um, right, mm, yes. And, uh, their teeth look pretty. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Halloween doings. Kale casting. Groups of youths would go out at night on Halloween and cast kale through the doorways of houses and then run away. People usually notice a few kale stalks gone from their yards in the next morning. Neepy lanterns. Pumpkins are not traditionally carved into lanterns in Shetland. Turnips are. Neepy lanterns are made with a candle inside a hollowed out neep with a carved face. And for those who don't know, a neep is a Swede turnip. Fortune telling. In Midyell, the oldest member of the WRI would tell fortunes at the annual, annual Halloween party by slowly breaking an egg into a glass of water. The white of the egg would form all sorts of figures in the water, which could be red. I haven't heard of that one before. No, it's mm. usually tea leaves, yes. isn't it? Uh, now, skeckling. Geysers used to dress up in straw and ribbons and would visit houses in small groups and dance or perform fiddle music in return for food and drink. This tradition, sadly, has died out in Shetland some time ago. Bonfire night in Orkney is linked to the old Mass one of the four main pagan festivals, including Yule, Beltine and Midsummer. Hollow Mass signalled the end of harvesting when malevolent forces roamed the land and darkness reigned once more. In Stromness, the children of the town traditionally spend the 5th of November parading, not with a guy, but carved turnips. The grotesque heads can be ghouls, aliens, animals, or even topical figures or celebrities. The common cry is, Penny for me pop, pop being the Pope, a reminder of the days when effigies of the Pope were burned on a bonfire. <laughs> I don't think they'll be doing that these days either, would they? <laughs> now, police are appealing for information following the alleged theft of a Buddha-shaped garden ornament from an address in Kirkwall. It is understood that two males wearing hooded tops were seen leaving the garden around 1am and were seen getting into a white hatchback. So it makes you wonder the mentality of these people and what were they doing out at 1 o'clock? They should have been in bed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like all decent folk. Yes. As the dark winter nights draw in, what better way to pass an evening than to listen to a good story? That is the aim of the Orkney Storytelling Festival, which runs from October the 27th to the 30th. As always, guest storytellers are invited to bring their own brand of wit and charm to proceedings, and this year is no exception. You can find out more online at the Orkney Storytelling Festival. Yeah, it's a good idea. So I don't know whether it is online, but I don't know whether we'll be able to get Orkney Radio here, could we? <laughs> It'd be nice if we could. Whether they have a mm. podcast or not, I don't know. Mm. A dish of fish was a favourite meal of an Iron Age Orcadian whose remains were discovered in South Ronaldsea. This is the finding of analysis into the ancient woman's jawbone, discovered during excavations at the Cairns. 
According to researchers, this flies in the face of what we know about Iron Age Britain, where there is very little evidence for the use of marine resources. There were relatively few fish bones found in Iron Age middens, that's rubbish heaps, and the analysis of human remains elsewhere suggests seafood was avoided. Despite how ubiquitous the sea was for the communities in Scotland, this led to suggestions that there may have been social restrictions or taboos on the consumption of seafood. The latest analysis allows the archaeologists to question whether the elder had a special role or status within society at the Cairns and South Ronaldsea, one which might explain why her remains were singled out for this deposition towards the end of the Brock's life. Mm. The popularity of bird watching in Shetland continues to grow thanks to the regular appearance of rare and scarce species in spectacular island locations. Shetland has a growing community of bird watchers who live and work in the islands. It is also an attractive travel option for many bird watchers, and it appears that the numbers which arrive to holiday in spring, and especially autumn, is continuing to rise every year. The reasons for this would seem to be simple. It must be the birds. However, there are other contributing factors. COVID-19 restrictions resulted in many bird watchers refraining from their usual overseas expeditions, preferring instead to stay within the UK. Mm. Yes, and in March 2019, a fire destroyed the Fair Isle Bird Observatory. This event forced many visiting bird watchers to stay on the mainland of Shetland. Of course, the locals also go bird watching, and it seems in growing numbers. We think the main reasons for Shetland's popularity are the islands themselves, and of course the birds. And just to mention here too, the rebuilding of the Fair Isle Bird Observatory um, is on, in, on its way. I think they may have just about started doing it now. Mm-hmm. Remember, when visiting the outdoors, you must behave responsibly, which means respecting the interests of other people, caring for the environment, and taking responsibilities for your actions, like not going too close to the edge of cliffs. And there was a picture in the Shetland Times of a group of men standing at the edge of a cliff with cameras with large telephoto lenses trying to keep oh that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, there was quite a few of them. Yeah. Yes. It'd be easy to step off, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yes, particularly if you're filming, you know, mm. and getting a bit carried away. Yeah. <laughs> it seems that bird watching is not the only pastime in Shetland, as its world-famous wildlife also makes a trip to the islands a must for any wildlife enthusiast. While it is easy enough to go for a wander and bump into breathtaking seabird colonies, unique wildflowers and, if you're lucky, pods of whales, there is one species that is much harder to stumble across, the otter. If you are lucky enough to come across one of these amazing animals, you're in for a real treat. But don't go putting your hand down their hole. Kirks under threat of closure in Strumness and Sandy have recently been handed a stay of execution. The Orkney Presbytery have given Strumness Kirk and Sandy Cross Kirk a year to allow them to draw up cost plans and undertake building work before their fates will be decided by the new amalgamated Presbytery of the North East and the Northern Isles next year. 
News in recent months that the two Kirks would have been slated for closure by the Church of Scotland resulted in a backlash from their respective congregations. Emotions ran high at a meeting where the presbytery heard heartfelt pleas on behalf of the churches, the futures of which hang in the balance. But it is a difficult thing because, I mean, the cost of maintenance and mm. that, these things these days is... Must so be pretty, huge. Mm, a bit horrific. The Shetland Fishermen's Association has commissioned a new study into the alleged abundance of monkfish around the isles. This comes in response to local fishermen reporting an increase in monkfish catches in 2022. Monkfish was the most valuable species landed by Shetland's family-owned whitefish vessels in 2021, worth £6 and making up a fifth of the fleet's total income. They hope that this study might be a starting point for meaningful discussions around the understanding of monkfish abundance. Yeah, they had a picture of it too, and it's such an ugly-looking fish, it really is. <laughs> right. BT has said the Faroese telecom subsea cable has been repaired following a communications outage. A major incident was declared when the Isles lost internet and network connections after the Shetland Faroe Island 2 cable was damaged. Internet connections were fairly quickly restored by a temporary solution, with the cable being fully repaired a couple of days later. Such speedy response from all helped significantly reduce a serious situation developing in the communities and tribute was paid to everyone involved. And don't we rely so much on the internet these days? <clears throat> Too right. Yeah. Well, it's that time again when we have come to the end of our programme. Have a fun time at Halloween, but not too much mischief. Enjoy the fireworks on Guy Fawkes night, but do have a thought for animals. And on Remembrance Day, give a thought to all those who lost their lives because of war. Cheerio and keep safe. Bye for now.